Father, I pray for your spirit to have his way, Lord. I pray that the spirit would burden the hearts of every individual in here, would burden them with desire to want to know you more, to seek after your face. God, I pray that you would burden them for change, that you would burden them, Lord God, to want more of you. God, I pray for myself, Lord. I pray that my flesh would be absent, Lord God. God, I desire for you to speak through me, Lord God, and I submit myself to you, Lord. Deep down inside, there's something inside of me that wants a pat on the back, Lord, but that's my flesh that's weak, and I, and I ask, Lord God, that you rebuke that and that you have your way. For only you are the heart changer. Only you can convict the heart to repentance, Lord, and I pray, Lord God, that you have your way. Father, and I thank you, Lord, for this opportunity to be able to speak to your people, Lord God. I love you with all of my heart, Father. I pray this in the name of Jesus, my Lord and my Savior. Amen. Hallelujah. You may be seated. This is a, a big challenge for me to be up here right now. It is a privilege. But it is also a challenge, and I am grateful for this opportunity. I am grateful for this challenge, and I might grow. So I pray that you all would bear with me, as I have a lot of information here to go over. I don't want to read too much, but excuse me if I do. I'm not here to single out any one individual. I'm not here to point fingers at any one individual. So if any one of my brothers or sisters in Christ feel that way during this message, I am encouraged on Hebrews chapter 12, verse 6. I'm encouraged by that verse, and I pray that all of my words are guided by the Spirit of God. And if you feel rebuke, then I'm okay with that. And I hope that you are too. Because I know that according to Hebrews 12, 6, that the Lord chastens who he loves. So it's for your benefit, it's for your correction, and if you receive it with joy and you got a smile on your face, then praise God too. However, I am preaching a message that I know the body of Christ needs to hear, and it is, is the fear of God in your house. That is the title of the message. The fear of God is more absent than present within the body of Christ today, and I have drawn this conclusion from observing the Christian community on how they raise their children, and also how the Christian community is loving God and loving their neighbors. Or should I say how they're not loving God or not loving their neighbors. And be mindful that this Christian community is, is very hard to determine how big that Christian community is because with American Christianity, it doesn't take much to be called a Christian. Also, my experience with children's ministry and now my brief exposure to youth ministry here at the Faith Doma Fellowship, praise God, has helped me to come to this conclusion. Some of you may be witnesses of the lack of the fear of the Lord as well. Point number one, let us talk about the fear of God. What is the fear of God? The key word for this fear is reverence. Reverence is to respect, to honor something or someone to esteem worthy. And the opposite of reverence is contempt. This is where we come up with contempt of court. You have 
Contempt, which is the opposite of reverence, which is willful disobedience to open, openly disrespect for the rules or orders of the court. Thus, contempt of court. So what are the rules and orders of our great God who we serve, we Christians serve? The rules and orders of God are established in the Ten Commandments, which Jesus summed up in Matthew twenty-two thirty-seven through 40. Jesus said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and great commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. So loving God and loving your neighbor. Key word, love. Proverbs 1.7 says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. We're talking about the fear of the Lord here. Proverbs 2, 2 through 5. In verse 3, it says, Yes, if you cry out for discernment and you lift up your voice for understanding, if you seek her as silver and search for her as hidden treasures, then you will understand the fear of the Lord and the knowledge of God. So what's the order here? The order is you seek God's face. You seek him for understanding, but the understanding of what? You seek him for the understanding of life, your purpose. Who am I apart from Christ? Who am I in Christ? What is this all about? Why am I here? Do I have a purpose? This is what you seek for understanding. And then the Bible comforts us and says, if you seek her as silver and you search for his hidden treasure, you will understand the fear of the Lord. It doesn't say you'll have understanding. See, when you understand the fear of the Lord, the Bible says in the other verse, was the fear of the Lord is the beginning of understanding. So the order of operations there is you fear the Lord and then you begin to understand. So you cry out for this discernment. You lift up your voice for understanding. You seek her as hidden treasure. Then you understand the fear of the Lord and you'll find the knowledge of God. You'll know. You'll know that God is who he says he is. And all of creation is evidences of who he is. This is the knowledge that you'll receive with this fear of the Lord. But you have to cry out for it. You have to search for it. If you seek, you will find Matthew 7, 7. We are also comforted by this. This, these words from, from Jesus, ask and it will be given to you. Seek, you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. So we see how scripture is just all connected. That's what I love about scripture because it's infallible. It can't be wrong. Do we esteem God's word as worthy? Remember, reverence. That's the key word to fear. Do we esteem God as worthy? Do we honor God enough to align ourselves with his standards by dying to our own understanding? Because a lot of people have understanding, but it's not the understanding that they get from the fear of the Lord. They, they think they understand why they're here. They think they understand what their purpose is in life. But apart from God, you have no purpose in life. So these are questions that you should ask yourself. Is God worthy? Do I reverence him? Am I fearing God? Do I honor him enough? Do I respect him enough to... Align myself with everything that his word declares? Are we willfully disobedient to the moral laws and character of our holy God? See, some of us who are righteous might say, well, that's not me. This isn't just the obvious. This doesn't mean, are you a liar? Are you a thief? It's not what it means. It's not just the backsliders. The two greatest commandments 
Or love God with all your heart, mind, and soul. Love your neighbors, you love yourself. So if you fail to do that, even though you're not lying, stealing, cheating, you still are falling in that category of willfully being disobedient to the moral laws and character of God. Your neighbor needs love. This is from my observation in the body of Christ. This is what God has burdened my heart with because we have to operate in this love. And this is what bishops preaching from the pulpit all the time. When someone needs help, where are we at? We so often wait for somebody to approach us for something. Wanting to be loved. But are we approaching them to offer a lending hand? Are we approaching them saying, I'm here. I'm here to do whatever. As long as you're edified in Christ, I want to help. As long as the body of Christ is edified, I want to help. So don't think it's just the backsliders. Don't think it's just those who are, by the world standards, completely immoral, completely breaking the law. Because if you're breaking those two greatest commandments, Jesus said it himself. All of the law and the prophets hang on these two. If we have the fear of the Lord, we will honor him and embrace his truth. We will see him worthy enough to be obedient to, worthy enough to submit to, worthy enough to follow, if we have the fear of the Lord. How do we get the fear of the Lord? Anybody? Seek. Seek it as a hidden treasure. Cry out to God. How much time do you spend on your knees crying out for this fear of the Lord? God, I don't have the fear of the Lord. I need the fear of the Lord. I thought I feared you, but I'm still acting crazy. Maybe I don't fear you. Can you give me this fear? Can you convict my heart? I want to tremble when I sin. I don't want to be desensitized to what your commandments are. That's what you got to ask yourself. Do not engage in American Christianity. If you talk to missionaries, they're reluctant to even say that Americans are Christians. I hope, including myself, that God will keep me strong and encourage me so that I don't fall victim of American Christianity. Actually, I want to read something, and I was wondering at what part of the message I was going to read this, or if I was going to read it at all. There's a gentleman named Paul Washer. He is a missionary, and he's an awesome preacher as far as the anointing that is upon him and his desire to see the glory of God manifested in the body of Christ and desire to be unloved. He just cares about what God cares about. So I respect him as a preacher, and that's why I'll use this illustration that he gave. He says, let's imagine I showed up late. He's preaching at a youth conference. Let's imagine I showed up late. I run up to the platform, and all the leaders are angry with me, and they say, Brother Paul, don't you appreciate that you've been given an opportunity to preach here, and you're late? And I say, you guys are going to have to forgive me. And I say, why? I was on the highway, I was driving down, I had a flat tire, I got out to change the tire, and I was changing the tire, one of the lug nuts fell off, it ran into the highway, I went to grab the lug nut, forgetting where I was because I was in a hurry, I looked up, there in front of me was a 30-ton logging truck, and it ran me over, it was going 120 miles per hour, and they would say, that's absurd, how can you have an encounter with something so large and not be changed? And Paul Washer says, my question to you is, what's larger, a logging truck or God? 
How can we as Christians have an encounter with God and not be changed for eternity? How can we have an encounter with God and still partake of everything that we willfully do that is not in line with his moral law and his character? See, these are questions that we have to ask ourselves. We do not be comfortable with who God has called you to be. Do not be comfortable with not reading your word. Do not be comfortable engaging in sinful activity. Do not be comfortable with being disobedient to God's standards. Please. Point two, in fearing God, what are we called to do? This is where it gets fun. This is the most broadest statement, but it can be summed up. There's a lot of things we are called to do. Under the covenant of grace through Jesus Christ, we are called to follow Jesus apart from ourselves. Matthew 16, 24, Jesus said to his disciples, if anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me daily. That's not a small statement by any means. We cannot trust. Let me, let me put that in the back because I'm starting to get lost here. And that's why I put page numbers on these notes. <laughs> if you are a child of God, a true Christian, then the Bible says you are born of incorruptible seed. That incorruptible seed is Jesus. That being said, we are called, according to 1 Peter 1, 14 through 16, as obedient children, not conforming yourselves to the former lust, as in your ignorance. Verse 15, but as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in your conduct, because it is written, be holy, for I am holy. Let me explain something, because maybe we're not clear on this. You and I cannot be holy apart from denying ourselves and following Christ. It won't happen. It won't happen. If that was the case, the Muslims would be going to heaven too. And the Jehovah Witnesses. And the Mormons. You cannot be holy according to God's standards apart from denying yourself and following Jesus Christ. When we were in the world... And our eyes were welded shut to the things of God, and we were slaves to sin, and we presented our members as, instrument, as, as slaves to uncleanliness and lawlessness. We did these things out of ignorance, and we enjoyed them. Everything that our flesh desired, we partook of and said to ourselves, I'm having fun. Just living life. As if the very life that they possessed even belonged to them. God formed you in your mother's womb. God created the order of the world. The way babies are made, God has everything to do with it. Now, it's not just the obvious. If you want to see how alive your flesh is, fast. If you want to see how alive that old, wretched flesh is, rebuke it. Starve it. I'm here to testify it is not easy. Maybe it's just me, but it's hard, very hard, but it's profitable, and it's helpful. It's helpful for you to realize how weak you really are. It helps you realize how much you really need to depend on God, because your flesh will have you fooled. These things were done out of ignorance toward the things of God, being, but being children of God, we must be holy. 
in our conduct as he who called us out of darkness is holy. 1 Corinthians 6, 19 and 20. I don't know if I gave Lene that verse or not. Did I? Okay, I gave it to her. 1 Corinthians 6, 19 and 20. Um, or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who dwells in you, whom you have from God? And you are not your own. You were bought at a price. You got to glorify God in your body and your spirit that belong to him. When you buy something, does someone tell you what to do with it? You can be nice. You can, you can give them something. If you bought a car, it costs a lot of money. Ain't no one going to say, look, man, I need a car at 7 o'clock, 8 o'clock, and Tuesday as well. Okay? Well, let me see how my schedule is. Maybe I'll let you borrow it. Maybe. If you're bought at a price, the Holy Spirit dwells in you from God Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. That's amazing. So glorify him with your body, with your spirit, everything that's within you. Because why? Because before when we did all those crazy things, it was done out of ignorance. We should know better now. We shouldn't be partaking of that stuff. We'll get into what kind of stuff that is later. Romans 6, 11 through 13, and I added verse 11. I don't know if I gave that to her or not, neither. Um, I hope so. If not, i got to turn to it. Okay, praise God. I'm going to read it with you guys here. Likewise, you also reckon yourselves to be dead indeed to sin, but alive to God in Jesus Christ our Lord. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body, that you should obey in his lust. And do not present your members as instruments of unrighteousness to sin, but present yourselves to God as being alive from the dead, and your members as instruments of righteousness to God. I know that was a lot to take in, so we're going to break it down here. Presenting your members as instruments, what does that mean? What are, what are your members? Your hands? Your eyes? Your nose? Your ears? Your legs? These are your members. So what are you touching? What are you listening to? What are you looking at? What places do your feet take you? What about presenting your mind to God? It's also a member, isn't it? Why do you watch TV shows and movies that have vulgar language, or even more so, that use God's name as a curse word? Movies and shows that are full of wickedness, foolishness, ungodliness, sexual morality, including adultery and fornication, backbiting, deceit, etc., etc. What a waste of time. Why? Why do we do it? I haven't been absent from that category. I'm fighting. It's a struggle. But if you don't even ask yourself the question why, then that grieves me. And even more so, it grieves the Holy Spirit that you consider yourself a Christian. God is holy. He says, be holy as I am holy. We should be convicted is all I'm trying to communicate. That's all I'm trying to communicate. I'm not trying to condemn I just want you guys to think, and if you have, praise God. If you've taken care of that issue, praise God. If you don't have that issue, glory to God. You know, there was an email that got passed around. 
And um, you guys might have seen it, but there's a movie called Corpus Christi that's coming out. Don't go see it. But the Christian community found it so empowering to say, I'm going to pass this thing around to everybody. Do not go see Corpus Christi. This is a terrible movie. Portrays Christ as a homosexual and this, that, and the other. I don't know the details on it. So I replied back to the email to all. I said, I commend you for not wanting to see this movie. But what about everything else you're watching? <laughs> what about the reality shows that are on ABC and NBC and TBS and Sure, we can get it right when you're talking about Jesus being a homosexual, but what about whenever adultery and fornication and all these things that God frowns upon that are against the God that you serve? What about whenever you partake of that stuff and you present your members, you present your members as instruments of unrighteousness to sin? What about then? What about our fashion? Is it carnal as well? Do we want to show off our bodies? Is that what we think about when we shop? Man, I wonder how many people look at me in this. That's not glorifying God. You know, I'm going to be open. And I'm not saying that this is how you guys have to dress. I told my wife, while I was sitting waiting for an appointment, I'm in the truck. I was borrowing somebody's truck. And... I'm sitting there in the parking lot, and a Muslim lady, completely clothed, no shapes of any members of her body at all being revealed, and a scarf over her head. And I asked myself, I'm wretched. I think things I'm not supposed to think, and I try to align myself whenever that happens. Have I ever thought about a Muslim woman in a way that I shouldn't? That's what I asked myself. And it's to no surprise, I couldn't recollect a time. Doesn't mean I haven't because I am wretched. <laughs> but I couldn't recollect a time. But the body of Christ, I can recollect numerous of times that I come into the sanctuary to praise my God and I have to hide my eyes. Is our fashion glorifying God or do we say, that's the style. Who creates the style? The world. We can't co-mingle with the world. It's just something to think about. Maybe some of you are mildly innocent because you never thought about it in that way. Well, now you have. This is just a hard check. Just because the latest fashion or style is provocative doesn't mean that we have to be. Be holy as God is holy. We are not of this world. We are of the kingdom of God. Are we convicted? More questions. Are we convicted? Do we think twice about partaking of this junk that God would frown upon? Number three, your actions show where your loyalty lies. Romans 8, 5. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who live according to the spirit, the things of the spirit. Do we live according to the flesh or according to the spirit in our everyday life? How many hours do we spend living for ourselves? 
tell you right now, I spent 40 with that J-O-B attached to my doggone leg every week. I'm not saying that you shouldn't go to work. I just wish I was full-time ministry. <laughs> it's coming. How many hours do we spend living for ourselves? How many hours do we spend living totally surrendered to our will and our wants and our desires? How about how many hours do we spend for God's will and what he wants and what his word declares? Study to show yourself approved. Desire the pure milk of the word. Just some questions, contrast here. First Peter 2.2, 2, as newborn babes, desire the pure milk of the word that you may grow thereby. That is the desire of God. So when you got a desire to watch all these television shows and you got a desire to go do whatever that's satisfying to you in your selfish ways, even if it ain't horrendous and involve some crazy breaking law actions, is it selfish? Just ask yourself. We can evaluate our actions to determine where our minds are loyal to. And that's what I challenge you to do. Number four, the largest problem. I want to read something else real quick. This may be a little redundant. I am not here to single out or point fingers at any particular people or parents. If any of my brothers or sisters in Christ come to this conclusion during the message, I will be encouraged from Hebrews 12.6. I pray that my words are guided by the Spirit, and if they rebuke you, then I'm okay with that, and I hope you are too, for the Lord loves those who he chastens. Essentially, largest problem, essentially parents and pastors, parents, essentially parents are pastors, essentially. And not nearly enough of them realize it. Largest problem. Largest problem. Parents are pastors. You're the shepherd of your flock that God has given you. Parents have spiritual care over their household or flock and must guard them as a shepherd would guard his sheep. It is the responsibility of the parent to make sure that the children, that they are babysitting for God. That's what you're doing are being spiritually nurtured, guarded, and disciplined. One day, your children, my children, who have been given to us by God as an inheritance, according to Psalms 127.3, they're going to stand before their Heavenly Father, and it's your job to make sure that you do all that you can in discipline, correction, instruction to help them be prepared for that day. Do you want your child to stand before God and you didn't give them a head start? You didn't instruct them in all the ways, and you're just praying for a miracle when they're 17 because you didn't do what you were supposed to do when they were three? I don't want my children to stand before God like that. I want to know in my heart that when my child rebels, God forbid, and I hope he never does, that I look at my wife who is more grieved than I am because she's that loving mother, and as she cries on my shoulders, I say, baby, we did everything we knew how to do we disciplined our children we instructed them on the ways of the lord by the way instruction that's that word chastisement in in the book of proverbs it's discipline the purpose of discipline is to instruct the purpose of correction is to instruct not because you're angry or impatient 
But I want to be able to allow her to cry on my shoulder and tell her, man, it's, it's, it's in God's hands. He knows what he's doing is in error. A child will know how much they are loved by the amount of discipline that they receive. Hebrews 12, 7 and 8. If you endure chastening, God deals with you as sons. For what son is there whom a father does not chasten? But if you are without chastening, of which all have become partakers, then you are illegitimate and not sons. I heard an illustration given, and a lot of this information that I'm giving you now when it comes to parenting and discipline is from Pastor Mark Driscoll, just to let you know. I don't want to try to take any credit or anything. But an illustration he gave, too, was um, that he coached a baseball team. He says, you know the ones where the parents are absent and there's no discipline. Because whenever you discipline them, when you start training them and teaching them and correcting them because you want to see them succeed on that baseball team, they cling to you and they love you. Because they have a respect for you, because they know that you're correcting them, you're trying to help them, that you're pushing them. Children are born with folly in their hearts, Proverbs twenty-two fifteen. Foolishness is bound up in the heart of a child. But glory to God, the rod of correction will drive it far from them. Glory to God. It is our job to enforce the rod of correction when necessary, Proverbs 23, 13 and, 13 and 14, excuse me. Do not withhold correction from a child, for if you beat him with a rod, he will not die. The word beat in Hebrew means to strike lightly or hard. Depends on the, the, the degree of sin. You shall not beat him with a rod and deliver his soul. You shall beat him with a rod and deliver his soul from hell. Why would God allow that to be in the scriptures? Could it be because there's validity behind it? Remember, the word of God is living and powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword. It's for correction. It's for instruction. It's inspired by him. Every word. When a child sins, they're running. Are they running towards God or Satan? Regardless if they know it or not, are they running towards God or Satan? They're running towards Satan when they sin, right? I mean, I'm, I'm sure they're not saying, Satan, hold me. I'm sure they're not saying that. But if they're sinning, if they weren't to be corrected and they continue to do it, they would be running towards Satan. Okay? So when a child sins, they're running towards Satan. The rod is a means by which God gives parents the opportunity to get their child's attention and readjust their course of life. That's repentance. No more folly, wisdom. No more death, life. No more rebellion, obedience. No more sin, holiness. That's the goal. Discipline them when they're young so that whenever they grow a little older, they can handle themselves as young adults. They can be self-governing. They can make their own decisions. Jimmy, my son, you tried to give him a donut the other night. He's not even four years old yet. And I could brag a little bit. Sorry. What did he do? Got scared. <laughs> he got scared. Because what Jimmy didn't know is about five minutes before Jimmy walked in that room, my son was like, oh, can I have a donut? Look, my son, he needs deliverance. Pray for him. <laughs> this is what he does. He walks around the house, 
Mommy, Daddy, I have junk food. Can I have junk food? Can I have junk food? Can I have junk food? I kid you not. Can I have junk food? That's all this kid says. And then whenever you try to make him eat, if I eat, can I get junk food? <laughs> You're trying to treat the kid with a donut or something as a gift, and he makes it works. Oh, what do I got to do to get junk food? <laughs> so whenever we went in there to enjoy refreshments, Isaiah says, can I have a donut? Everybody's eating donuts. Isaiah, he's sitting on, he was all by himself. It was kind of sad. So I had all the oohs and ahs from the praise team. I looked at him. One donut, go on the tile. Got his donut and he ate it. I don't know if he went on the tile because I went outside, but I'm sure he did unless someone told him he didn't have to be. Jimmy comes in. And next thing I know, I don't know what happened with him and my son, but Jimmy comes out. Pastor Chad, excuse me. Can, can This is a proud mother right there. You see that? You see, because a wise child that is not partaking of all of their folly that is dwelt up inside of them brings joy to their parents. You see, when Jimmy tried to offer him this donut, he knew. My dad told me no. Because he knew that he was going to be disciplined. Now, I would have had compassion because I would have understood the situation, but Jimmy... He kind of tugged on my heart a little bit, and I was proud of my son, and I was encouraged, so I gave him another donut. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Children do not understand that their foolishness at two leads to a certain quality of life in their 20s. The parents need to have the wisdom to know it. Hebrews 12, 11. This is good. Now, no chastening seems to be joyful for the present, but painful. Nevertheless, afterward, it yields the peaceable fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. A little pain now for a life of joy and peace. Later. Talking about disciplining your children. As opposed to a little freedom here because it's so cute whenever they sin. You want to go get the camera and take a picture. I don't recommend that. As opposed to a little freedom here for a life of death and pain. There will be pain. Is it going to be brief to turn them around? Or will it not occur at the moment so that they pay for it for the rest of their lives and maybe even for eternity? A child who is not disciplined knows it. Instruction then discipline is important. Here was your sin. Here's why I'm going to discipline you. Here's my intention for you. Do you see that I love you? As parents, it is our responsibility to portray how big God really is. Is the fear of God in your home? Are you worshiping God? Are you praying to God? Are you seeking his face when things are rough and difficult? Do you forsake him or do you cry out harder? When your family members come around and they invite you to places and they're partaking of things that are just totally wretched, do you depart? Do you separate yourself? Jesus says, you got to love me more than you love your mom, more than you love your brother, more than you love your sister. If what they're doing 
is displeasing to my father, me and you can't roll. Me and you can't hang. If you don't respect me enough to stop dabbling with your wretched ways, your unrighteousness, if you don't respect my views enough, we just won't hang out. I'm not telling you to forsake your families because it's important that we set these little meetings up and maybe we go have lunch with them and try to minister to them and share the gospel with them if they're willing to do it. But is the fear of God in your home? Do you invite them over and partake of the things that they're partaking of? Do they talk nasty about your God? Do they say things that are totally in error and you keep your mouth shut? As parents, it is our responsibility to betray how big God really is. Your, pa- your kids are watching. They see you. It doesn't matter who you are in the sanctuary if it's not who you are in your home. Children will notice <clears throat> your faith or they'll notice your lack of faith. The lack of faith or the faith. When your child is challenged, they will remember that God, the God you served and however big he was or however big he is. See, because you praise him more, because you worship him more, because you seek him more, doesn't make him any bigger or smaller. It's not what I'm trying to communicate. But in your child's eyes, who's looking up to you, it does make him bigger or smaller. Because they don't understand yet. And then when they go to these schools and they're being indoctrinated with all of the evolution jazz, which, by the way, evolution is a religion. If you don't know, now you know. It's a faith. It's never been proven. Not macroevolution. Species to another species. It's a religion. But when they indoctrinate this religion onto your children and they speak down the professors while they're in college because that's where the biggest issue is, is in college. And they say, this God that you've mentioned doesn't exist. You know what they're going to do? And this is just my theory. I'm thinking because I've, I've never done this. But I'm thinking what they're going to do is they're going to reflect back on their childhood and how they were raised. And they're going to see mommy crying. And they're going to see daddy seeking God's face. And they're going to see whenever they left the family's house when the party just started because there was things going on. And they're going to understand that they were corrected because they sinned against God whenever they weren't honoring their parents. Or they were corrected whenever they told a lie because it was not in line with God's standards. They're going to see this worship service that we had whenever we were little. And they're going to remember it. And they're going to come to two conclusions. One or the other. Either my parents are crazy and they've wasted their whole life talking to the air. Or this professor is insulting my family. Because you were a testimony on how big your God is. And you didn't compromise because you feared that God. Your, parent, your kids see it. They will not be impacted. They will not be. That's why the Bible says instruct them on the ways of the Lord and they will not depart. Because it makes perfect sense. If that's what you're truly doing, they can reflect back on your life and they can see that this God is alive because my dad is not an idiot. My mom is not an idiot. They don't need to be in white jackets. They're not talking to the air. This God is real. No, professor, you're wrong. I may not have all the answers, but I know God is real. 
I've endured 18 years of discipline (laughs) for this God. He better be real. If the fear of God was more present than absent, then the evidence would be in the church and be in us. Starting with the adults and moving right down to the children. We're dealing with my observation that the fear of the Lord is more absent than present. Not present than absent. Glory be to God that his word is still infallible. Glory be to God that he never changes. Glory be to God that he has filled us with the Holy Spirit, that he has called us out of darkness, because it's never too late. It's never too late to realign yourself. It's never too late to ask yourself these questions. It's never too late to repent and confess everything to God and seek God. The Bible says if you draw near to him, he'll draw near to you. It's never too late until you're gone here. The evidence must be shown by our fruits. The Bible says in Matthew 7, 16, You will know them by their fruits. Do men gather grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? The answer is no. We cannot trust, and I'm getting ready to close, we cannot trust and or rely on our own hearts to guide us. We must turn to the scriptures. This is what is in our hearts. Mark 7, 21 through 23. This, this really tears me apart that we do not see, that we don't see how different we are from God, that we try to bring ourselves to an equality with God. This is what's in our hearts from, from within. Out of the heart of men proceed evil thoughts, adulteries, fornications, murders, thefts, covetousness, wickedness, deceit, lewdness, an evil eye, blasphemy, pride, foolishness. All of these things come from within and defile a man. That is what is in our hearts. Why do you think that you can reach God? Why do you think you can live holy? Why do you think you can please God apart from Jesus? If you don't think it, then why are you partaking of all of the things that are making God frown? Guys, we have to take God serious because that's what he requires in his word. And if we were, it would be evident. We cannot continue to trust in our own understanding of what is right and what is wrong. We cannot make decisions, especially decisions on how we instruct our children, based on our own emotions and the things that we think is right. Proverbs 14, 12 says, There is a way that seems right unto man, but the end thereof is the ways of death. You can have every good intention in the world. But if you're not in alignment with his word, in totality, you're deceiving yourself. It's not hard to open up the word of God and read it. It's hard for you to tell your flesh, I'm not watching TV to open up the word of God and read it. That's what's hard. But we can do it. God has given us the ability More now than ever, we are without excuse. We have the Spirit of God dwelling inside of us. Do you believe in the power of the Holy Spirit? Do you understand how big and how powerful He is? He's dwelling in you. We must turn to the Scriptures. And last but not least, the Bible is absolute truth. We cannot depend on anything but the inspired Word to instruct us of all things. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. And lean not on your own understanding. 
In all your ways, acknowledge him, and he shall direct your paths. If there's anyone here who has never had an encounter with God, who has never understood that they are wicked and wretched, and apart from Christ, there is no righteousness in them. If there's anyone here who has always leaned on their own understanding to have a relationship with God, and you need to repent, you need to confess your sins to Jesus, and He will purify you, He will cleanse you from all unrighteousness. That's what it says in His Word, right, TCG? Phase one. So I challenge you now, and I'll give you an opportunity. If that's you, just come forward so we can pray for you. So you can make a public announcement to your living God that you ain't perfect, which he already knows. But maybe you didn't know it. That's why you need to acknowledge it out loud, in public, boldly. That you ain't perfect, but you want to get it right. I'll give you guys a minute. Heavenly Father, I adore you. God, I love you so 